Mawale for the win. Alike Ogunbowale wins the national championship for Notre Dame. Pino gets the crossing. He's towards one man. Twenty-one world championship medals. She is the greatest of all time. You just can't say it enough. Wow. Women singles champion Serena Williams. Large Williams into Bird in the corner. You bet. She's done it again. Sue Bird. Welcome into another edition of All In WFUV's Women's Sports Podcast. I am Julia Moss, joined here with Taylor Massetta, and we are joined by the one and only Ryan Rucco. If you're listening on Spotify, you might recognize his voice because he's actually one of the iconic calls you hear in the intro audio when you listen to these episodes. Ryan works for the Yes Network, calling games for the Nets and Yankees, along with ESPN, where he serves as a lead play-by-play broadcaster for women's college basketball and WNBA. Apart from broadcasting, Ryan also hosts a podcast with Yankees legend CeCe Sabathia called R2C2. And arguably most importantly, he is a graduate of Fordham University and an alumni of WFUV Sports. Ryan, thank you so much for taking time out of your day with your incredibly busy schedule. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm so excited that I finally get to connect with both of you. I know I ran into you guys uh, a while ago. We talked about doing this and my schedule has been hard to lock down, but I so appreciate your flexibility and I so appreciate you guys having me on uh, to talk about uh, some sports I love and uh, with a station that I love. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And let's get right into it because it's been a hectic day, specifically within the WNBA. Brianna Stewart announced she is coming to the New York Liberty, which is huge for a variety of reasons. On top of the fact that we are New York Liberty already have Jean-Claude Jones. Ryan, when you see this news, what are your first thoughts? That the Liberty are going to be really good um, and that I'm probably going to have a lot more games at Barclays Center than I have uh uh, with our national game slate, you know, I think we'll probably have a lot of New York Liberty on our our programming schedule for our national games now. Um, you know, it's exciting. Uh, they, there's a conflict within me because I loved seeing the Seattle Storm, their prominence. They're a marquee franchise in this league. Um, and Stewie as you know, their best player for the last seven years, right? And and helping to guide them to two championships and seeing one of my good friends, Sue Bird, and what she went through and the way the city em- embraced her and celebrated her on her, you know, retirement tour, if you will. Um, and knowing that, you know, that only really happens if you spend your entire career in one place. And Seattle does that so well. And thinking about that no longer being on the table for Stewie, so there's a part of me that's like, oh, man, like, but she's like, she's kind of like a heart and soul member of the storm. But then there's the other part of me that's like, wow, this is so exciting for the league. This is so exciting for the Liberty. This is so exciting for a team in my backyard. Um, and, you know, I felt the atmosphere for the Liberty playing that game three in the first round against Chicago last year where they 
you know, sort of unexpectedly push the defending champions to a decisive game three in the first round. Nobody really thought that was going to be the case for the Liberty. And I saw the buzz at Barclays and that's just a sliver of what we're going to experience this season with John Quell, with Stewie, with Sabrina, um, you know, assuming Benajelani's back, um, you know, all pieces. I still think that the Liberty probably are going to end up with Courtney Vandersloot as well. Um, so they're, uh, they're going to be loaded and fun to watch, and the buzz is going to be real in Brooklyn. Absolutely. And you make a good point about Seattle. They're going to enter a rebuild phase that they haven't seen since, honestly, Stewie came out of UConn. So my next question is, where do you see Seattle this upcoming year? I think it's going to be really hard for them. I think it's going to be hard as far as the personnel they have on the floor. I think it's going to be hard as far as um, the emotional toll that's taken. You know, they have this big three core with Jewel, Stewie, and Sue that's been together for the last seven seasons that's had an incredible amount of success. Um, and uh, and that also definitely, um, you know, has the heart of the fan base. And uh, Jewel obviously is still there and is an outstanding player, but there's going to be a completely different challenge now for her. Um, a different challenge for the organization, you know, they have a beautiful new key arena, which is, I mean, it, I mean, excuse me, it's not key anymore, but it's um, climate pledge. And it is, it's incredible, like incredible. And now, you know, their two main attractions from a season ago are gone, you know, um, and obviously Jewel is a big attraction too, but it's just a completely different uh, situation. So I'm not sure. I mean, they could really struggle this year. Uh, or maybe, you know, maybe they get some complimentary pieces that keeps them in the middle of the pack. But the reality is what Sue brought was already going to be a massive loss for them to try and fill, you know, not just her effectiveness on the floor, but her leadership, the way she organized her team. She's really one of one in the way she was able to do those kind of things for that team. Then you take, you know, maybe the best player in the world, right? You'd say her or Asia Wilson right now. And you take her off the team and it's like that's I mean that's just a lot so one thing we know is the Storm are a great organization and you know they'll rebuild it and bounce back however long it takes but it may take a little while because that's not the kind of thing you recover from easily yeah and when you look at this upcoming season honestly the Storm are kind of in a decent position as far as like if they were to struggle this season, you have a draft class that next year with Paige Beckers and Caitlin Clark. That's arguably one of the, the strongest ones we've seen and the better part of a decade. So it'll be really interesting to see, you know, if that rebuild is expedited by maybe a struggling season this upcoming year. But moving over to the idea of super teams in the WNBA is kind of new. We've seen it in the NBA for years, you know, obviously with Miami in 2010 and now Brooklyn and and teams like that what is your opinion on super teams potentially you know becoming the big storyline because Candace Parker is now with the Aces that's a super team Jean Quell Stewie Sabrina Benaja in New York that's a super team in itself do you think it's do you think the pros outweigh the cons in having super teams in the WNBA well it's interesting because so when they renegotiated their collective bargaining agreement a couple of years ago, 
part of the aim of it was to create more player movement. Um, and they have gotten exactly that. Uh, and there is definitely, I think, a value to having player movement when it comes to the product as an entertainment entity, right? Like, just think about it, what we're talking about right now. You know, we're not talking about the WNBA on February 1st if there isn't big-time player movement. Um, but there is, and so it generates more interest to get some people's consciousness. And now they're, you know, looking forward to seeing these these teams play in May. So like, there's a real value to that. Um, I also think just like the general fan gets excited for like a matchup, like those new in the finals, I would feel pretty comfortable saying like that will end up being our highest rated finals. I'm almost a hundred percent certain, you know, um, and it might like shatter where we were. So like there's real growth opportunities for the league when it comes to something like this happening. Um, but I also think that like all sports leagues are at their absolute best when there is real uh, diversification in the excellence, you know, among the league, you know, I think, you know, what you don't, you don't want a bunch of mediocrity, but you really want parity of greatness. And I think that where the NBA is at this moment in time that I love is there's so many great teams, you know, that I literally I'm looking at or really good teams. And I'm looking at them like, yeah, you can make an argument that the Celtics, that the Nets, that the Bucks, you know, that the uh, Sixers, you know, maybe the Cavs, like all, all can come out of the East, right? You can make an argument in the West that the Nuggets, the Grizzlies, the Pelicans, the Warriors, the Clippers, trying to think if I'm forgetting anyone else. I mean, you can make an argument that all of them could come out of the West. I say the Nuggets, Nuggets, yeah. Um, you know, they, you, you can make an argument that all of them could come out of the, uh, come out of the West. There's something cool about that. There's something that engages multiple fan bases and, uh, and you know, you get more invested in. And I think there's a lot of value in that, especially on a local level, nationally, like super teams, as long as there's a possibility of them losing, I do think that creates a lot of interest. And so I don't necessarily look at it as good or bad. I just kind of see both sides of what it brings. Yeah. And speaking of super teams, now with the Liberty and the Aces getting Candace Parker, which one do you think is going to look stronger in this coming season? I mean, I think out of the gates, the aces probably will look, look stronger because they, you know, have the championship continuity. Obviously, you're adding in a very uh, significant new piece in Candace. Also, Alicia Clark is going there, too, um, who, you know, she she's a championship player who is a key role player, a three and D player on, on two of Seattle's championship teams. Um, so, you know, I think that there's. I think that Vegas, though, I give the edge to because they've done it as a group. There's not going to be I mean, there's a little learning curve for, you know, just getting Candace and, and Alicia integrated. But um, Candace already showed us she could go to a team and take them to a title in year one, you know, go to a talented team and, and be that finishing needed piece. Um, you know, I think there's no reason to think that can't happen again with Vegas. I also witnessed firsthand what an outstanding coach Becky Hammond is. So I think it would be almost disrespectful for me to say anything other than, yeah, the Aces are the favorites, even with what's happening in New York. Um, but 
if you told me like come September, you feel like New York has the best chance, everybody's healthy, of course, I wouldn't be surprised because John Quell, Stewie, assuming Slute ends up with the Liberty, um, Sabrina, these are unselfish players who, you know, very much want to see the ball move and, uh, and who, um, you know, I think are invested in making this work. John Quell, Slute, and Stewie have played together overseas. They know how to play with each other. And then I also think, depending on how the, you know, roster shakes out in finality, you have a lot of other really good players. Like, if Laney's still here as well. Like, she's a rugged defender who, like, brings it. She can put up, you know, 25 on any given night, create her own offense. Um, she's a legit, you know, perennial all-star talent now. Um, then you think about uh, Maria Johannes, who uh, last year was incredible. Um, uh, off the bench and then eventually starting, has great flair for her game. Again, very unselfish. Um, Stephanie Dolson, again, she might be, who knows, like how they make all the money work with everything, but like another championship player, big-time role player. So I say all this to say, Han Shu, who was fantastic last year as a backup center. Um, and then, actually, I'm forgetting, they got Kayla Thornton in that trade uh, to get John Quell, who is an awesome, ridiculously athletic, like, perfect fit at the three. So, so like, I mean, they're loaded. Like, they are loaded. They're legit 10, 11 deep. Um, and I feel like, you know, they're going to, there's going to be a lot of reasons if they're healthy to by the end of the season say like, yeah, they're, you know, the fit or they're the favorites or they can absolutely win it all. But I'll start with Vegas because of. Yeah, I cannot wait to see those two teams in action, but now we're going to pivot a little bit to the NCAA and we're going to talk about a, a game that you're actually calling Number six, Iowa against number eight, Maryland. Tomorrow in Iowa City, we're going to see a big showdown between Caitlin Clark and Diamond Miller. Which team do you think has the firepower to come up on top on this top 10 matchup? I mean, they both have the firepower. Um, that's for sure. Like, I mean, you're talking about Diamond Miller is going to be a top three pick this year, right? Um, and then... Uh, you know, Caitlin Clark will be a top three pick whenever she comes out as well. Um, I, I think that what's fun, well, first of all, you know, the big 10 has just, I mean, they, they've really become a power when it comes to women's basketball. Like look at how many good teams they have in that conference. And Ohio state, obviously the two teams playing in my game, they're loaded totally loaded. Um, so that also seasons these teams, I think for these games, these moments. Um, but, you know, Maryland can get after it defensively, be disruptive. Um, Iowa can be carved apart a bit on the defensive side of things. Um, so they need to, they can't be turning the ball over and giving away possessions. Like they need to be efficient on offense. They need to hit their shots if Maryland's turning them over, they're going to be able to turn them into transition buckets. Uh, so, I, I mean, I see it as a really close, not to cop out, but I see it as a really close, you know, almost even game um, with two of the best players in the country and then a lot of other really good 
you know, supporting players as well. I think one thing, you know, with Caitlin Clark, people are obviously aware of her 35 foot jump shots and, and the way she gets the crowd into it. She also is an incredible passer and has unbelievable vision. And when I watch her, I see someone who's going to be a star in the pros as well. Um, and, uh, and I think like everybody should definitely, uh, you know, soak up the experience of watching her play because it's a very, very, she's just a very unique player uh, when it comes to, you know, what we've seen in the history of the the women's college game. No, definitely. I'm really excited to see them on the court tomorrow, but as a native Connecticut resident, I just have to plug in a quick UConn question and they have just stressed me out all year with this injury bug that seems to be going around with Paige Beckers and Ice Brady both out for the season. AZ Fudd's going down with knee injuries. It's just never ending. I just want to hear a couple of your thoughts on like UConn's like injury bug. Yeah, it's um it's unfortunate because they have so much talent. And, you know, you you see what they're doing without these key pieces, and you think, oh, oh, oh my gosh, how good would they be if they had Paige and they had AZ and they had Caroline Ducharme? And, you know, and ice, like, what would this team look like? Um, but I think that if they can get AZ back, I think they have, I think they'd have a chance to win a national championship still. Um, you know, obviously South Carolina is the favorites and they should be the favorites until beaten. They are absolutely the favorites. And, you know, once again, they look like a, you know, a dominant force. Um, Malia Boston is putting together you know, an all-time great collegiate career. Um, and she's going to be an awesome pro as well. I think, uh, you know, Stanford is a team that I really respect their ability to to shoot, to win this time of year, for sure. Um, obviously, there's some others with what Indiana's done this year, and, and they have experience now in the tournament going deep. But uh, if UConn can get easy back, obviously they won't have Paige back this year. Caroline back would be huge as well, but especially if they can get AZ back with the way Ali Edwards is playing, um, you know, with the way uh, Lou is playing and the shooting that she's brought transferring over from Fairfield. Um, and then, uh, you know, uh, Dorka is playing great also. Like they have enough, they have, you know, enough talent to make it happen. And also, Gino will play six or seven players. He he doesn't need to go 10 deep. So as long as he's feel, you know, as long as he's got a really good six or seven, like he can make it work. And I think if they have AZ, like if they have AZ healthy, I'll be surprised if they don't go to the final four, which is shocking to say, given the injuries that they've suffered and that the, you know, you know, arguably the best player in the nation, Paige Becker's, isn't going to play a minute for them this year. Yeah, if there's one thing I've learned, it's to never count UConn out. Ryan, we're going to switch a little bit over for these last couple of questions to um, some more general questions. Uh, My first one is, I know personally, being someone who talks about sports a lot, having a friend like Taylor who's on the track team has changed my perspective on a lot of things. And you're obviously very close friends with Megan Rapinoe and Sue Bird. I was wondering what that friendship has done to impact your broadcasting and your overall view on women's sports. Well, that's a really good question. I think it's done a lot. Um, Megan and Sue are 
two of the smartest people I have ever met in my life. And they're thoughtful. They have ridiculously high EQs in addition to IQs. So they're just like really aware and emotionally aware. Uh, and I think that they see all sides of conversation, dialogue, argument, and uh, and and growth, and and what's needed. And um, and there's been a lot of things that I have witnessed with Megan and talked about Megan and with Sue, where I'm like, oh, I, you know, I didn't know that. I, I never thought of things that way. You know, um, you know, one of the things that Sue talks about a lot. And you know, there's a million things that I've learned, but like one thing that always, you know, comes up is there was this idea about like, oh, you know, like follow the WNBA or, you know, watch women's college basketball because like, hey, like support women. And like, you know, it is good to support women, but let's not paint it like it's charity. Like watch it because the product's awesome. You know, like that's why like like watch it because you're going to be thoroughly entertained watch it because it's just fantastic and once you do give it a chance you are going to be like oh wait this is great why have i not been watching this um and you know sue was the one who kind of helped like to articulate that idea of like okay we're not not a charity like let's not paint it as like we need your support like but it's like no this is awesome like put it some places where people will see it like Let's encourage people to see it. And once they see it, you know, good things will happen. And we've seen a lot of that in recent years. And I think that's why we're seeing more and more uh, support when it comes to women's sports. And Sue also helped me to understand kind of the lack of investment that the WNBA had dealt with for so long. And, you know, if someone was to like the typical argument when people talk about like low salaries in the WNBA is they would say, you know, well, you know, the person who would say like, yeah, of course they're low because like it's a reflection of the revenue. You can't just, you know, pay them whatever. And like Sue's argument would be like, yes, but where is that initial investment to help grow the league, grow the revenue and get it to this place? Because, you know, you don't just start playing and everybody flocks. That's not the way it works. Like there has to be a significant financial investment in any startup in order for it to grow. Right. And I think we're starting to see a different degree of investment in the WNBA and we're starting to see the ratings come as a result of that. And it's still a, uh, there's still a long ways to go. And it, to me, it's a massive greenfield opportunity um, because, you know, you think about just how, you know, high quality the product is um, on the floor. Then you also think about how amazing these women are. Like these women are unbelievable athletes. They're, incredibly brilliant they are not afraid to share whatever they believe in um they're not afraid to go to bat for you know people who don't have a voice um they're just like if you were a company and you were like you know we'd really like someone to represent our brand like who's like talented and cool but also like super smart who's like emotionally aware like you could look at the WNBA and have have a pick of like you know 90 women right away that you'd be like yeah i feel good about her i feel good about her you know like and and so i think that like we're starting to grasp that as a society and some of those things like about the growth of league sue and and megan have helped me um to realize that you know there's a million other things like 
that I've learned from them throughout the years. But I think like one of the things that I would love to say about them that I don't know if people always know, um, because obviously, you know, they may not get a chance to ever have a conversation with them is Sue and Megan are amazing listeners, amazing listeners. And, you know, you could think like, especially Megan obviously is very much on the forefront of different political conversations. And you could think like, oh, that means like, she's like, you know, closed mind or, or doesn't, you know, listen or it's like, no, 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 no. Like Megan is one of the greatest listeners I have ever met in my life. You know, she's also like this smart, unbelievably generous, maybe the most generous human being I've ever met in my life, kind, uh, caring person and great friend. And Sue is the exact same way. And so like, I just think that like, they are, you know, like I know for my daughter, like I'm glad that, you know, she's going to have them as close examples of, uh, you know, people outside of our, our family who that she can also look to and say like, wow, like those are like strong, smart, caring, kind, successful, powerful women. Um, and they, they both are all of those things. Um, obviously my daughter will also have an amazing example of that in her mom, um, and my wife, Andrea, but, uh, but it's nice. Um, it's nice to also have them to point to too. You made so many amazing comments there and pointed out so many, so many things that, you know, are a lot of people don't think about something specifically with the WNBA is like a lot of athletes go to the WNBA to get seen, but they go overseas to get paid. And I think that's such a weird, like dichotomy kind of like you can get seen in the WNBA, but you get paid more overseas, which is really weird to me overall but you know we are definitely seeing investment increase but that's definitely something that I've done a lot of like research on and it's something that doesn't completely add up but it's good that I mean obviously it's good that you have both of those options to get seen in America and get money you know wherever you're playing um but yeah that's just a that's just a thought I've had Taylor you can go ahead and go with your next question yeah, so just to kind of like jump off of that, what do you think is the key to expanding coverage of women's sports? Or like, what do you want to see like change in the industry so this coverage like gets higher? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, I think that, I think that the more resources are put into the look and feel of a show being big, the more the audience believes it is. Um, so for example, one thing that I think was really significant that we've done the last two years um, for WNBA finals, thanks to Dave Roberts, one of our executives who oversees uh, WNBA and, and NBA, and is, he, he just gets stuff done. Um, and Sarah Gallero, who's been our coordinating producer for WNBA, who has put her heart and soul into this project and, and just, you know, loves it fully and fights for it all the time is they were like, we're going to have studio on site. Like, you know, we don't care, like whatever the costs are, we're going to find a way, like we have to have our studio on site because it makes it feel big. And you know what, when you tune into an event and you see something like that, there is some part of you conscious or not that says like, Oh wait, this must be a big deal because like, they have a studio crew there, you, you know what I mean? And, um, and so some of it is that, uh, 
I, is continuing to invest in that way and make it feel big on the women's college side. Um, Pat Lowry, who's been our leader of that project for a really long time, she uh, does an unbelievable job of making sure, you know, throughout the entire regular season, we have an amazing studio presence, which again, makes it feel big. Fighting for and getting college game days now on the women's side of things, which we just had last week with UConn, Tennessee. We have uh, at least one more coming up. I don't know if there might be more than one more. But like, that's the kind of thing where it's like, oh, okay, all right, yeah. Like this is, you know, very, uh, very big. And I think that kind of thing helps, you know. I also think, um, you know, Kathy Engelbert is a brilliant businesswoman. And she knows how to leverage brands, companies, relationships, um, and get them to invest in this league, you know. And I think that that, you know, that's key, having more and more people and their money invested in the league because those people then have obviously incentive for the league to continue to grow. Um, Rebecca has some great ideas as well about, you know, how to grow amongst the youth and uh, some things that she sees with just like youth basketball and coaching um, and different days to do that. Um, and then I think, you know, I think it's putting them on TV as much as possible in, you know, the biggest spots we can, you know, it's having our best games in the playoffs for the WNBA, be on ESPN or ABC, um, which we did have last year. You know, there was a couple of years ago, like the best game I think I've ever gotten a call in the WNBA. There've been some really good ones and link sparks finals, maybe game fives or, um, but the game I'm referring to is uh 2018 semifinals game five with Phoenix and Seattle, where Sue scores the 14 points in the fourth quarter and Seattle wins Diana's first loss in a winner go home game. And, you know, we had to be on ESPN news that night. Now, no knock on ESPN news, still great to be on TV. Right. But I think all of our people internally wish there would have been a way to change that, you know, and to their credit, in the years since that, they have made sure that like those circumstances are more and more rare so that we are more and more front and center with the product. Um, and so, you know, that's one of the ways to grow it. You know, I also think they've tried to lean into more the fantasy basketball angle of it. You know, it's in 2K now as well for video games. Obviously, gambling gives a, a different level of incentive in that for people. Um, so those are some of the ways which you can, you know, continue to grow it. And then the storytelling, too, you know. Um, the the storytelling is always key because it just adds a layer of investment um and uh and i think we have the best storyteller uh in sports television in holly Rowe. so when she tells those stories i think it helps people connect yeah definitely i tuned into the yukon tennessee game last week and i what I tell, I was so excited when I heard like college game day was going to be there because it's just like, I feel like it's so important to me to like show how exciting women's sports can be to people. Like I've had people tell me to my face like, oh, I don't tune into them because they're boring. I'm like, no, it is great content. It is so exciting to watch. And with these like higher level productions, it just goes to show like this is great stuff that is happening. Like yeah. I like am very invested in that Yukon Tennessee rivalry. And it's like it's just it's not something I want to miss out on, you know? I, I totally agree. And I think like putting putting it on that sort of platform, it, it's reaffirming to, or, or just enlightening the audience to say like, this is a big deal. Like, you know, check this out. Like we are pouring resources into this because we believe this is a big deal. 
you know, we believe we can make money off this, you know, and we're not doing that unless there's something real there when it comes to the meat and potatoes. Um, and, uh, and so I totally, totally agree. And I also think like, you know, one of the things I'm most encouraged about, I was like, when I first started doing the WNBA 10 years ago, it was like very in vogue to just, you know, crap on women's sports, you know, like people were very, it was like the thing to do, you know, or to be like the guy who's like, Oh, I could beat them one-on-one. Like, you know, and it's just like, you hear that less and less, you know, it's just like become so obviously ignorant. It's just not cool. Like, it's just like, is that the person you want to hang out with? You know, it's just like, it's not cool. And I think that like that in itself is growth that like, you know, people kind of realize like, no, wait, hold on a second. Like, this is really good. You know, like, and if you are, you know, the person who's saying that you, you kind of have become the ignorant person. I mean, you were always the ignorant person, but you kind of become like part of this, like, you know, uh, ignorant minority. A hundred percent. And I think at the end of the day, it's like people will follow storylines. I mean, you see that in men's basketball, NBA all the time It's always, you know, if LeBron and KD are playing each other, people are going to tune in. Um, I, th- I hope that continues to happen, you know, with the WNBA and college women's college basketball. We've seen that more and more with like the Kate, Caitlin Clark, Paige Beckers, you know, that broke viewing records because people follow those storylines. So and another another side thing, Taylor is from Connecticut and I'm from Memphis, Tennessee. So that game was not fun for me because UConn. Um, it was <laughs> great for me. I was I was yeah. living. It was awesome. Oh, it, is what it, awesome. Is. it is what it is. Yeah. Uh, but one more question for you, Ryan. Again, thank you so much uh, for yeah. taking the time. What is just kind of a, a good overall question to wrap this up? What has been the coolest experience you've had being a play-by-play broadcaster? Hmm. I, it's a loaded question. <laughs> it's a really good question. Um, I think, uh, well... So there's, there's different, like, I can think of like a a moment or a memory or, you know, whatnot, but like, there's different things that are cool to me, um, that like are the coolest, best parts. So to me, the reason I want to get into this is because I love sports. I wanted to play. And I always knew like, if I wasn't going to play the next closest thing to the energy of the game other than coaching was broadcasting and even if you look at my fifth grade yearbook it says like to announce for the Yankees um as a career goal says to play too but you know we don't have to worry about that part but I I think that like what I noticed as a kid watching games with my dad that rings true today and resonates with me is that when you do play-by-play, you become a part of the sports fan's memory of the moment. And to me, that is so cool. I use this analogy all the time. You guys have probably heard me use it maybe when I've done a workshop there, but that TV play-by-play is like the score to a movie. You know, you help the moments come to life. You help them make sense for the audience. You help them feel the moments. You don't help them see them, right? Like they're watching the game on TV. Just like you're watching the shark and Jaws, but the donut, donut, donut makes you feel it, makes you feel the the shark closing in on you. Well, me, you know, uh, 
going nuts when Candace Parker drains a three to help complete a fourth quarter comeback against the Mercury in Chicago and put the sky on their way to their first ever title with Candace coming home and doing it with energy and gusto. Like that helps the moment come to life for you, right? Like, like Mike Breen yelling bang on a, on a big moment. Like it helps it come to life for you. That's a memory, you know, Joe Buck on Jim Lairitz's home run to tie game four of the 96 world series going back at the track at the wall. We are tied like that is the, that's the memory for me. That's the moment. I get chills thinking about it. So to me, the coolest part is when I have people come up to me and they like talk about remembering a specific call and like what it means to them or like listening to it over and over again. So like I, uh, in Chicago, in, in the aftermath of their championship, I had so many people there come up to me and be like, oh, I just like love listening to your, calls from sky championship like i listen to them over and over again like it's forever going to be a part of like chicago sports history and i'm like that's so cool you know for me um the, the, the call i probably get uh two calls that get brought up to me all the time or um aaron hicks's game saving catch and yankees twins and in, in summer of 2019 july crazy game 14 uh 12, the Yankees won the game back and forth. Wild, wild, wild finish. One of the craziest regular season games you've ever seen. Full body length dive, like, and fans coming up to me, like, knowing every word. Or Aaron Judge's home run in Seattle that he nearly hit out of the stadium in 2017. And fans coming up to me, knowing every word of my call. Like, I had a, I had a fan from Italy in London come up to me when I was there in 2019 who recited to me every single word of that call. Like, to me, that's so cool. Like, that is so cool. Because it means I was a part of that memory for this fan. And for me, like, if you ask me what were my, like, top 10 childhood memories, you know, eight of them are going to be, you know, involving watching sports, whether I'm there or I'm listening to the broadcast, right? So when you become a part of a sports memory for a fan, to me, that's the coolest part. Um, this is a long answer, but as far as, like, just like the experience of it goes, you know, there's something awesome about, about feeling and rhythm and feeling and flow and like feeling the energy and the excitement and the awesomeness of this moment. And like Rebecca's like tapping me on the shoulder, like, this is amazing. This is amazing. You know, like, like last year, UConn, NC State, double overtime, that kind of game. And you have this performance high. I was explaining to like anyone who's ever acted in a play, like you get this performance high when you're done. It's very similar. Um, and feeling a part of this, you know, this fraternity or this club, um, this very unique inner circle. I think that part is something I love about it. You know, when I walk into Greg Popovich's office and I feel like I'm a part of a certain club, you know, and he treats me with incredible respect and I know he values my work, you know, or when I, you know, meet with Cheryl Reeve at center court, before a WNBA finals game. And like, I know she values what I do and respects what I do and knows like I'm contributing to, you know, this thing we care about so much, you know, or, you know, sitting with, um, you know, Steph Curry before a game and, and, you know, him trusting us to share things that maybe he's not going to share on camera, you know, like being a part of that is such a cool part and then I think the other thing that's cool is like you know when you have those moments where people who you've developed 
some level of relationship for or gotten to know um like thrive and you know you get to witness it up close it's pretty great or somebody who just know has the most amazing story and you witness it up close like it's it's amazing it just feels great like sports are great there's so many times where Holly Rowe is doing an interview and, you know, gets choked up. And then I'm sitting at the table and you don't see me, but I'm crying. Like it's, it happens often. Um, and uh, one, cause I love Holly, but two, because like, it's just like only sports can kind of bring you those spontaneous, like tidal waves of this, like, you know, overwhelming connected communal experience emotion. And it's, it's just, it's so awesome to be a part of it. It's so awesome. And uh my wife says to me all the time, she's like, it's so cool that you get to live your dream job. Like, it really is awesome. And like, she must say it to me once a week when I'm doing, you know, games on the road. And, and I'm like, like, it really is like, it's so awesome. So that's a long answer, giving you different layers of what I truly love about the job. Thank you so much, Ryan, one more time for taking the time to to be here. For those listening tonight, you can catch Ryan on the broadcast tomorrow for the Iowa-Maryland game. It's sure to be a good one. But until next time, this has been All In, a women's sports podcast.